All right, so the great moves of God. Uh, when we talk about the great moves of God, we, we, we can come up with a lot of different uh, ideas of that. We can think about um, worldwide revivals or national revivals or, or uh, geographical revivals. Uh, let's talk just for a moment about a couple of revivals. We're just going to skim through this really quickly because it's just leading us in, into something else. But uh, we, 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 we talk about the first great awakening here in the American colonies between 1725 and 1760. You, you might have heard of uh, preachers like uh, Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. Uh, this revival was really a long one, this awakening, but it really peaked about 1740, 1742. And it was at that same time, uh, that the Wesleyan revival was happening, which at, at John Wesley's death in 1791, there were 79,000 Methodists in England and 40,000 in America. But then the second great awakening came in about 1801, started at Cane Ridge Camp Meeting in Kentucky where 3,000 were converted. Uh, in 1811, one-third of all Americans attended a camp meeting that was birthed by this Cane Ridge Camp Meeting. Uh, in 1806, the awakening had uh, reached Williams College in Massachusetts, where there were about five students who actually were in a thunderstorm, and they were taking refuge under what would be called then a haystack, and they just had a prayer meeting. And uh, they, they committed their lives to missions. They committed their life uh, entirely to Christ, and it began a real prayer revival. And that um, uh, sp sparked a great deal of uh, young people predominantly praying, and um, in New York City in 1857, uh, another prayer meeting uh, began and spread quickly. And uh, in just two years' time, a million converts were added to the churches uh, in America and a million to churches in England and Ireland. The Welch Revival was in 1904 under the preaching of a, a young guy named Evan Roberts. He was in a meeting with a bunch of young people. Well, not a bunch. It was, it was a, I don't know, a dozen or 20 young people, I think. And um, they just began to pray, Lord, bend us. That was, their, that was their prayer. You know, remember years ago, it was a WWJD. It was kind of a thing, you know. And that was, that was their deal. They just said, Lord, bend us, bend me. In other words, shape me into what you want me to be. Take me, lead me, change my trajectory. And that was their prayer. And in two years, 100,000 converts were added to the Welch Church. In just two years, 100,000 were added. More than 5 million came to Christ as that revival spread really across the world. And uh, if we want to say in more modern day uh, time, I would say that China would be uh, the place of revival for several, uh, for several years now. The last missionaries left China in 1953. In 1980, there were 2 million Christians uh, believers in China. And then just in, in, in the year 2000, which is still 22 years ago, the year 2000, there were estimated 75 million converts in China. The great moves of God. And there are many others, and there are many, that's like we would say, smaller ones. If it's a move of God, if you're in it, it's not small. You know, it's big. Uh, but those are just a few, and I just wanted to, to reference that, that we see God moving uh, at different times and for different reasons in, in different soil. And so, um, but I'm, I'm not, I don't want to talk today about revival. I want to talk about revival. I want to talk about the great moves of God as it relates to us as individuals. Uh, in just preparing for this uh, message today, you know, you, 
I do a lot of research on different things, and I explore different ideas and different things, and I thought, well, uh, you know, I came across an article uh, on the Internet, so it's true. And uh, it's called The Benefits of Religion. Now, this is a religion, okay? It's not Christianity, but just religion, so keep that in mind. It says it lowers your blood pressure, uh, longer survivals with survival with cancer, longevity of life, reduced stress, healthier immune system, more satisfaction in life, and projections, uh, protections against uh, depression. And as far as Christianity, I would just add eternal life. You know? So... Even um, the world or the internet acknowledges and sees the benefits of what they would call religion. However, religion has its downside, which keeps us from experiencing the move of God. Because there are some, and I'm going to talk about Christians right now. We're going to talk about the church, not just religions, but Christianity. There are some Christians who have been told that in order to be a real Christian or to remain a Christian, they've got to do certain things. I just made a list here. It's not exhaustive. It's, it's just my little list of 10. I just uh, accept Jesus as their Savior, be water baptized, attend a church meeting at least once a week, give 10% of the money, work in the nursery, stop drinking alcohol, stop using bad language, stop telling lies, wear certain types of clothing, pray every day, and if you're a male, be circumcised. Surprised you with that last one, didn't I? Okay. In other words, we go from Christ to rules. We go from accepting Christ as my Savior, yes, all right. Then we go, okay, but in order to be a real Christian, you, you, you got to stop doing this, and you got to start doing that, and we go right back into a system that Christ fulfilled. The Word says that Christ fulfilled the law, and therefore we are not obligated to the law. And so we read here in this book of Galatians where the Apostle Paul is writing this actually to a group of churches in this area, <clears throat> to these people who were called Galatians. And he's addressing this very topic. He says, you perplexed me because you started off in faith, but now you're going back into following the rules and the law of Moses. And of course, in the law of Moses, there were, you know, the Sabbath day, you couldn't walk but a certain distance, you couldn't lift up anything heavy, uh, there was eating restrictions and bathing, and, and then of course, the big one is, is circumcision, and that's why I mentioned it earlier, that was the big one. And so Paul is, is addressing this to the Galatians, and he says, man, y'all started off so amazing, this was great, but somebody's come in and bewitched you, is the terminology that one translation uses, somebody's coming along and tricked you. And they're, and they're telling you, oh, well, yeah, Chris, Jesus is fine, but you still, you still got to obey the law. And he's making the point, you didn't become righteous with God because you were obeying the law. You became righteous with God because of Christ and your faith in him, that it's not by works, but it's by putting your faith in Christ. So the whole book of Galatians deals with this. Let's read uh, starting at chapter 5. You're in Galatians chapter number 5, and we're going to read starting in verse number 1 <clears throat> and read through 13. Ready? Or 15. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Now, if you'll allow me, please, to just interrupt the word for just a moment. I, I just want us to say together, I want us to say that word freedom because it really sets the, the course of where we're going. And I want us to say like we mean it. I want us to say like we're free. All right, I want to say because it says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Can, can, we, do, can we say the word freedom? Let's do it right now. Let's say it. Say freedom. All right, we can do even better. Come on. Freedom. That's why Christ has set us free. Not so we can go to church or that we have to go to church or so we can give money and we have to give money or that we, we can or we have to go do anything. It's for freedom that he sets us free. Okay, thank you for letting me do that and let's keep reading. He says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race, and who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am convinced in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. God, thank you for your word. Lord, it is uh, understood by your spirit. So we just uh, ask, Lord, teach us, lead us and guide us by your spirit in your word. In Jesus name. Amen. The great moves of God, we think of them maybe as national or geographic, but they're really they're individuals. When it's, we talk about God moving on a nation, we're really talking about God moving on people's lives. And so let's focus right there. And I want to use this Galatians 1 through 5, 1 through 15, and pull out a couple of verses and talk about the great moves of God. Its first one is found right there in verse number 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is not a religion that sets you free. It is not a church that sets you free. It's not a, a set of worship or a preacher or an evangelist, but it is Christ who sets us free. And the way he sets us free is he comes close to us. 
It is he who literally sets us free. He literally takes our sin and throws in, the Bible says this, as far as the east is from the west or into a sea of forgetfulness. And it is he himself that comes close to us. And so the great move of God is that he comes close. And one of the the greatest realities that we find in, in Romans is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so Paul is referencing his own experience. And he, he starts off in chapter one of this book and he says, you know, uh, I was persecuting the church. And, and then when I got saved, I went immediately into like the desert and I began to study and God began to give me revelation. I was here and I went here. And then finally I went back to Jerusalem and even says, I went back to Damascus. And he's talking about his journey, uh, before Christ. And then since meeting Christ, And then he's using that as a springboard to say, uh, I've learned all of these things by revelation. It's not something that I that I just simply uh, went to the teachers of the law now. But God was giving me these things by revelation. But Paul did not put confidence in his story. His confidence is in Christ. He recognized that he had a story, but that was not where his confidence was. He had a story of persecuting the church. And the the really unusual thing about this is that he thought he was serving God by putting Christians in prison and condoning to their murder. He thought he was serving God. And yet God then reveals to him, no, that's not it. And uh, I think it's just one of those big tricks where he says, you know, no, you're doing wrong, but you're going to become one of those people that you've been persecuting. He had a story, but his confidence was in Christ. You have a story. You have a story BC before Christ of what you were doing before you surrendered your life to Christ. And though that story is unique and that story is powerful and that story should be used for the benefit of the gospel of Jesus Christ, yet our confidence is not in our story. Our confidence is in Christ because it is he that came close to us in our story. In our moment when we were like turning our back on God and we were like doing our own thing, it's not that God said, well, when you're ready, I'll be here. No, God says, I'm, I'm coming after you. I'm following after you. I'm coming close to you. And that's the story of the gospel. That's the great move of God that he doesn't move away from us when we sin. He moves closer so that he can rescue us. He doesn't just simply throw us a lifeline. He is the lifeline. He is the life preserver that is thrown to us in that raging sea. And so the great move of God is that he comes close to us. He doesn't move away. He isn't just simply saying, hey, I'm over here when you're ready. Come on. He keeps pursuing us. It was a great poem written uh, probably 150 years ago called The Hound Dog of Heaven. And it's a, it's a very affectionate poem about the Holy Spirit who tracks us down and finds us in our gutters of despair, in our sinfulness. He says, I'm tracking you down because I love you. That's the God who comes close to us. And sometimes as Christians, we can lose sight of that. And what does the word say to the Christian about God drawing near? He says, if you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. In other words, he's saying, I want you to, to walk in step. I want you to walk in step so that we can walk together. But before Christ, he's simply pursuing us because we have nothing to do with him. And he's right there drawing close to us so that he can rescue us from our sin. That's a great move of God. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. John 3, 16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever, whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Aren't you glad it doesn't say whosoever would begin involved in religion? Whosoever would start reading their Bible? Whosoever would start going to church? Whosoever would whatever, you want to fill in the blank there. He says whoever would put their faith in Christ would be saved. And that's where we start as a Christian, but that's where we must continue as a Christian. We can't, we can't think, well, I've, okay, I've got to do these things so God is pleased with me. God is not pleased with you because you do great things. God is pleased with you because he sees Christ in your life. It's because of Christ. And so we can't stray away from that like the Galatians did. But the second great move of God is found there in verse number five. And that is that he gives us his spirit. Now, I got, I just, this is just the riskiest thing uh, for me, it's from my perspective, okay, you might not think it's risky, I think it's totally risky, that God puts himself into me and you. That's just like, really? Because it would, it would seem like the, this perfect, powerful God who speaks and there's a world. He speaks and there are stars. That's how huge, powerful, beyond comprehension. But he says, I'm going to take me and put inside of you. I'm going to enter into your life, and we're going to go through life together. To me, that's risky because I'm flawed. I'm messed up. I just want to say this as a reminder for anybody who's questioning. We don't allow perfect people at Hope Crossings. Because we will corrupt you. Because we're not perfect. So if you're perfect, this is your last Sunday. We're trying to help you. Okay? Go find that perfect church. Because we ain't it. Okay? We're messed up. And so, and so we look at him and say, but God, God puts himself into messed up people. It's, it's not like he just says, okay, I'll walk beside you. He says, no, I'm going to live inside of you. I'm going to live inside because that sanctifying process that we are in is not from the outside inward. It is from the inside outward. It's not that we go, okay, okay, somebody give me the list of stuff that I've got to do to be a good Christian and now start doing it. That's a work of sanctification from the outside inward. God says, I have nothing to do with that. I'm putting my spirit inside of you so that the change in your life starts inward and it begins to work its way outward. Have you ever, don't answer this, have you ever been in a church where they just really had the list of things that you had to do? And I mean, they wanted to clean you up like in 90 days, you're going to take this 90 day course on the Bible and you're going to be a sanctified Christian. You're going to, you're going to be, you're going to be one of us. Uh, thank you for not answering that question. Okay. But I mean, that's that. Come on, that's that can be a reality that there's a whole list of do's and don'ts. And God said, I have nothing to do with that. Paul even goes so far as to say, if 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 you're going back into that lifestyle, the, the graces become void to you because you can't have both. It's not I'm saved by Jesus and. I'm living in the spirit because of Jesus and because I'm doing all these good things. You can't have that. And to me, that's risky. If I were God, I'd give you a list of rules. You better do them. 
But God is saying, I'm going to put my spirit in you, and we're going to work out the details. I'm going to put my spirit in you, and then I'm going to just walk with you through all the ups and all the downs, all the mistakes, all the confusion, everything that happens. I'm going to be with you because I'm going to be in you. And that's what God decided to do. We walk with God progressively. His spirit leads us into truth. We're trying to figure out what to do. We have the spirit of God within us that leads us into all truth. You're trying to make a decision right now about your business or your education or about your family or about whether to move or change or what. The spirit of God, the spirit of the living God that is perfect and righteous and holy and unblemished lives inside of you as a Christian. You're talking about you have access to all the information and knowledge that you need, all the truth that you need, and more. Because he, he walks with us. He gives us gifts. The Spirit of God brings gifts into our life, that gift of mercy, that gift of faith, the gift of miracles, the gift of prophecy, and word of knowledge, and word of, word of wisdom, and all the gifts of the Spirit. He gives to us because He lives within us, and He wants to show Himself powerful and mighty show himself powerful and mighty. And so he walks with us. We read in, in Acts chapter 18 where Apollos was uh, preaching Christ. He had been saved and Apollos was preaching. And the word says he preached Christ effectively. And he argued with uh, the Jews uh, effectively. Arguing is a, is a term we don't like today. He debated, he talked to them. But the Bible says he argued and he did it effectively. But he only knew the baptism of John. So here he's a Christian, but his information, his knowledge is limited. And so Priscilla and Aquila, the husband and wife, uh, they hear him preach. And so they invited him into their house and he lived with him for a period of time. And he, they taught him more than just the baptism of John. And Apollos grew. And he was like, okay, awesome, great. And then he went out and preached even stronger. Because he had grown in that knowledge. And that's why the Spirit comes to us, because he wants us to grow, keep moving forward. And we've got we've to recognize when we're blowing it, when we're messing it up, and when we got it right. Amen? Thirdly, verse number 13, God partners with us. He says, I want you to serve one another humbly in love. The key there, uh, because you would think that he would say, well, serve one another with love. But he says, I want you to serve one another in love. Now, I want to submit to you today, that's a, that's a world, uh, really, of, of difference between with love and in love. See, something with love, that's just something you have. If, you, if something is with you, if I take this Bible with me, the Bible is with me. But if I memorize the Bible, the Bible's in me. If I just have the Bible with me, I got I to look, I gotta, I gotta look it up. But if I memorize, then it's in me. Well, the same with love. If we're, if we're trying to love people with just saying, well, I, I got I to gotta muster up some strength to love this person because they're a pain in the neck. I know y'all don't have any people like that in your life, do you? It's just me. But if we begin to think, wait a minute, I, I am in Christ and he is in me. I am in love and we serve one another in love. It's like God is partnering with us as we go through life. 
so that what we do is not simply us doing it, but we have a partner with us. It's always better with a partner, right? So we go through life as a partnering with Christ. He tells us to serve in love. John 14, 20, Jesus said, I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Romans 8, 1 says, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 21, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation. God partners us when we pray, when we live, when we work, when we play, when we prosper, and when we suffer. He is in us and he partners with us in it. And that's why you hear people who are, who are older talk about, man, I remember when I was really going through a tough time, but man, God was with me. He's with us when we suffer. He's with us when we prosper. He's with us when we understand and when we don't understand. He's with us when we're praying, and he's with us when we're playing. He's with you when you're at the lake on Saturdays and not on Sundays. <laughs> you see how easy it would be for me to be serious about that? Don't you go to church on Sunday? You be here on Sunday. Are we going back into works? Well, we went from laughter to really serious in about a heartbeat, didn't we? Man, God's with us. God's with you when you're hunting, when you're fishing, when you're camping. God's with us probably when you're shopping. He's with us because he partners with us. I'll tell you a quick story, shopping. In Florida, which where I was born and raised, we started off in ministry. Lisa and I met, we were married there. We had a church there. And, and um, so I went to high school uh, with this uh, brother and sister. And so that family came to the church and, and uh, we're kind of checking it out. The kids had really come to the church and we were teenagers, but the mom and dad were, you know, not sure. And so the mom was really, really inquisitive. She was like searching. And so uh, she was in Publix in the frozen food aisle and there was a woman from the church coming down that she knew went to the church and they, they met in the frozen food aisle. And the, the, the mother of the people I went to high school with said, you, you, go to, you go to Calvary, right? She goes, yeah, yeah. She says, I need to get saved. And right there in the frozen food aisle, she led her to Christ. God's with you no matter where you go, no matter what's going on. God's with you because he's a partner with you. It's time to shake off the extra requirements that are burdening you down, that are just waiting on you, just, just like, pressing down, like, I, I got to do this, and I can't do that, and I can't. God is saying, wait a minute, walk in love, and all that stuff will work out. It's going to work out. You don't, you don't have to suddenly be anything. It's a matter of saying, God, I'm going to love you, and I'm gonna, I may stumble my way all the way through it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get there. So, God, I'm going to love you. Jesus was asked, okay, all these laws of Moses, what's the greatest? Come on, boil it down. What's the greatest? And he said something profound. He said, love God and love people. That's risky. But it's what Jesus said. What's the greatest commandment? You know, we can say, well, there's 10 of them. No. He said, love God, love people. He didn't say, love God and then do this, this, and this. 
Now, are we supposed to do good, you know, the right things and avoid the wrong things? Absolutely, of course. But it's not a requirement to, to be accepted by God. The requirement to be accepted by God is putting your faith in Christ. And once you put your faith in Christ, you will then begin to have the desire to do what is right and not do what is wrong because Christ is in you. That's risky. And that's God. The whole thing's risky. He made a group of people that like have a free choice. I'd have made robots. Well, that's stupid, right? Yeah. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be risky. Sometimes I, I look at God as so risky and sometimes my life not. And I think if we're going to be like Christ, we got to be risky. We, we got to be risky. I think the rest of this year for Hope Crossings is going to get more risky. I just scared some of you right there, didn't I? We're going to put a greater emphasis on prayer for the rest of this year. A greater emphasis on connection for the rest of this year. Greater emphasis on our community for the rest of this year. Because we're going to get risky. We're going to get risky in prayer. We're going to get risky in ministry to one another. We're going to get risky in reaching out to our neighbors and our community. Let's be risky. Because God is risky. So let's shake off all of that stuff, those rules and regulations, and go, I have to do this and I can't do that. Shake it off. Get rid of that. Know that God has and is coming close to you. Be filled with the Spirit. Say, God, I I just want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I recognize when I was born again, the Spirit was given to me as a gift and as a seal. Lord, I want to be filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God because I want to live a risky life. I want to get to the end of my life and go, man, I remember when that, I remember, and I remember what God did, and I remember it. I don't want to get to the end of my life and go, man, I wish I had. I want to get to the end and go back, yeah, it was good, it was good stuff. God did great things. Amen?